chapter 4. John chapter 4. I know Pastor Matt's been preaching in John, but he said last week that somebody did 15 messages on chapter 17, so <laughs> 35 minutes, I don't remember how it was, but it was a bunch. So I don't know what he spoke on John chapter 4, but I know whatever it was, we can repeat, we can rejoice, or it could be different aspects we look at it. John chapter 4, with a subject this morning, we're looking at evangelism and worship. Evangelism and worship. Let's begin by just reading the text. John chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is, ask, is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. 
Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went out of the town or coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to the Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage about Jesus with the Samaritan woman, and many things that we can reflect on, think on, and so we pray, Lord, that your spirit will use this passage in our hearts and our lives as we reflect on evangelism, we affect on reflect on worship, that it may stir us to do both, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. This is an interesting text here, John chapter 4. We find that verse that talks about uh, the Father seeking worshipers, but the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The theme is worship. And then we jump down a few verses, and we talk about the harvest fields, being white to harvest. And they're talking about looking at, at, at that. We, we see the example of Jesus sharing the gospel news. And the, top, the theme is evangelism. So that's why we're talking about evangelism and worship. What should... When we, hear, when we hear these things, what should motivate me to evangelize? What should motivate me to worship? What should motivate me to evangelize is not because there's an evangelism program on Saturday afternoons or Thursday nights or whatever there might be some time of visitation. What to worship, not because there's some special service on Sunday morning or Sunday night. We have the task of evangelism. We have the task of worship. Today I want to share that doing the work of evangelism should be an expression of worship overflowing from a grateful heart of what God has done in my life. Neither evangelism nor worship should be something mechanical. 
something that we do because of a program or something that's, that, but it's an expression. I want to start with a little illustration. Think, for, think with me about seven, ten-year-old kid who just loves to go to the park, who just loves to go to the park. And the parent says, son, after the dinner, we're going to go to the park. And what's he do? Ha, ha, yay, we get to go to the park. He starts jumping up and down. He's running around. He's just so excited. Problem is, it's after dinner. <laughs> Why bother about dinner when we can be preparing to go to the park? He's just so excited because somebody said, yay, we get to go to the park. The news about the going to the park has killed his appetite. He's not even thinking about supper. Not even thinking about it. He's thinking about getting ready to go. But before dinner happens, before supper happens, a friend comes and says, can you come out to play? The little child's thinking, I don't want plan B. <laughs> I don't want plan B to substitute plan A. I don't want to go out and play if that means I can't go to the park. So he's so, he's so excited and so, so thinking, and he just says to his friend, we're going to the park. And then, then he realizes what he's done, and it just, just, just mom? Can he go to the park too? Can he go to the park too? And then there's that tense moment. <laughs> tense moment as mom contemplates the thing. Right? And then, please, please, please. <laughs> and then finally, mom says, I don't see any reason why not. That means yes. <laughs> All right. And now you have two children jumping up and down, running around. They're excited to go to the park. He's excited. Two kids jumping in down. Keep that story in the back of your mind as we look at John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we have the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. There's a lot of doctrine, a lot of things we can see in this particular passage. It's not meant to, sh to, to be a formula of how to share your faith, but we see that here as well. What we see is that Jesus is sharing the good news. He initiated conversation with the Samaritan woman. He just started talking to her, asking about something to drink. In doing so, he overcame some cultural barriers. It was not normal for Samaritans and Jews to be talking to each other. He overcame some, some preconceived ideas. Uh, I'm thinking Portuguese for a minute here. Some minute here. He, he, prejudices. He, he, was, he overcame those ideas. He, he overcame those. And then he was able to take that conversation about water, about wells, and turn that conversation to something spiritual. That is what we need to do when we evangelize. We usually need to start with a, a topic known and then move to a topic of spiritual conversation. And what's the first thing Jesus needed to do when he begins to talk about the spiritual outside? He needs to confront sin. He confronts sin by talking about her married life, and how many husbands she's had, and who she's living with. This is, he confronts sin. He confronts sin. And what usually happens when you confront sin? The person squirms and wants to change the subject. And that's exactly what happened here. The person squirmed and changed the subject, and she asked a question about, where do we worship? Jerusalem, this mountain, she wants to change the subject. So she's changing the subject to the subject of worship, and sometimes that happens. You start to bring the, the gospel message. You start to talk about sin. Does your church do da, da, da? What can we 
And then they want to change the subject. That's what happened here. But the subject is moved to the subject of worship. And what's the answer? Going to 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The topic of worship. Is worship important? Very important. The Old Testament, we have text after text about how they were to proceed in Jerusalem, what they're supposed to do in the temple. The Ten Commandments, do not worship other gods. Do not worship the true God with an image. We have various texts about what is worship, what, what worship is not. We see that both in this text, he's talking about true worshipers, which means there must be false worshipers. So you have true worship and false worship. Uh, we have true worship of the true God in a false way. We read it from the book of Ezekiel, from the book of Isaiah. Jesus talked about those who worship with their lips, but their heart was far from him. They were worshiping mechanically, but their heart was far from him. We read about Cain, who tried to worship the true God with the fruits of the land instead of what God had told him he should be doing. We read about the sons of Aram, Nadab and Abihu, who came to a sin unto death because they were worshiping, but not the way God prescribed. Worship is very important. Worship is a great person. God orders us to worship. We have commandments to worship. We see that God judges false worship. And in this text, we see that God seeks worshipers. And God has requirements about not only how, but who. Who can worship? Who is qualified to worship? God is seeking people to worship him, and he's seeking to qualify those people. I'm not going to take time to read a lot of passages, but we know that God, when he seeks worshipers, in the Psalms, various passages, who can worship is those who have clean hands and a clean heart, those whose sins have been forgiven. Those are the ones that God allows to worship. In Romans 8, it tells us that those who are acting the flesh cannot please God. We cannot please God on our, in our own flesh. We must be cleansed. So to be a worshiper, we have to recognize who is God. Who is God? Who's the person I'm worshiping? There are people who think they're worshiping God, but they're not worshiping the God of the Bible. There are people who think they're worshiping Jesus Christ, and they're worshiping this, this image on a cross. They're not worshiping the Christ of the Bible. We need to know who is God. We need to know who are we. We're sinners. We've been separated from God. We've been told that our sins separate us from God for all of sin and come short of God's glory. We need to know that, and we need to know why Christ came. He came to pay the price for our sins. The gospel message is that God is holy. We are sinners. We cannot come to God in any of our own merits. But we must trust what Christ said on the cross. The simple message is that. And that's what Christ was sharing with the Samaritan woman as well. In, in, in other words, he says, we got sin to address, and we have the Messiah to address. We talked about the sin. We talked about the Messiah coming and that, and that thing. To be a 
true worshiper of God, we must become a child of God. Where can we worship? Well, that's the, the question that the Samaritan woman asked. Where can we worship? Worship. I remember my dad. My dad used to drink coffee by the pot instead of by the cup. He drank coffee all the time, and he said, but he claimed he only drank it on two occasions. He says, I only drink coffee when I'm alone or when I'm with someone. Only on these two occasions. Worship needs to be on those same two occasions. When I'm alone or when I'm with someone. And actually, worship needs to be both. We have worship in community, and we have worship in solitude. We need to worship alone or when we're with someone. And Christ is saying that. It's not important about a location. What's important is spirit and truth. As worshipers, we should worship on the same two occasions, corporately, individually. The location itself is immaterial. We study the theme of worship. We note that worship is an action. Worship is not just something I feel. Worship is an action, something I do. When the wise men worship, what do they do? They bow down. They offer gifts. In the book of Revelation, we see the elders. What do they do? They bow down. They, 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 they praise the Lord with their lips. They sing. When the priests worshiped, they ministered in the temple. They did, did, they did physical things. There are mentions of worship with prayers, with fasting. The Hebrew word for worship in the Old Testament in, implies that of bowing down, curving before. But I'm really fascinated by the Greek word for worship used in here and in, in the New Testament, worship. If you look up the, the, the dictionary definition of the Greek word, it says, meaning to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn or crouch to, that is, literally or figuratively, prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to, adore, worship. I'm fascinated by the word picture that's done by this dictionary of a dog kissing his master's hand. You come home and you find your dog did a no-no. <laughs> what did it do? It left a pile on this carpet. It chewed up a pillow. I don't know what it did. But the dog knows and you know that that was not a good thing to do. And what's the reaction of the dog? First he starts wagging his tail and then... The tail goes down, the head goes down. He knows it's coming. <laughs> he knows it's coming. And you do whatever you do. I don't know what you do with your dog. But you do whatever you do with your dog. And there's that moment. And then a few hours later, the dog comes quietly and licks his master's hand. Have you forgiven me now? <laughs> Is everything okay? He comes trembling in fear and adoration. He's worshiping the idea. He, he, he's, he's calm. He licks his master's hand. It's as if to ask if I'm forgiven. It's, it's reverence. Fear the master. It's honor. I recognize my error. I still want to serve you, master. I'm your dog. Man's best friend. The idea of worship. Or when the dog is obedient and the tail's wagging, he's just so happy to see you. So happy to see you that he just comes and he wants to lick you all over, not just your hand. Just so happy exuberance. Worship. Worship. I get to be Jesus. I get to see that. Now think of that. Now think of that word picture. Do I, do I wag my tail and jump up and down, turn circles because I can have my morning devotions because I can go to church? I get to see 
uh, get closer to Jesus or when I'm sinned? Yes, Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I want to serve you. I want to worship. Worship is an action. It's an action. But it requires also knowledge because we need to worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. It's about truth. It's a response to a truth. What's the truth? What's the element of truth in worship? I know who I am and I know who my God is. The dog knows who he is, who his master is. It's a a response to truth. It's recognizing who I am, but he cleansed me. There's a, it's a response to truth. If there's not a response to truth, and it's just licking the master's hand, licking anybody's hand, there's, there's not worship. It's, it's the idea of recognizing a, a truth and responding to that truth. It's not a ritual. It, it's, it has an emotional element to it. In spirit. In spirit and in truth. So, worship, it's in spirit and truth, so it's an action I do. With an understanding to a truth, an emotion, it's an act of offering something, something, serving God with a fearful, humble, reverent spirit. It's possible as the Spirit of God grants me to understand that my sin has been forgiven, I am dependent on the Lord's mercy. It's emotional. It's a response to the truth that so touched me that I can't keep my mouth shut. I express it with my overflowing heart, like the little child. We get to go to the park. It's just a response to the truth of a message. The child is jumping up and down. That's the action. The truth is, mommy said we can go to the park. And the response is, whoopee. Here we can go. Expressing my love to God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Worship. The gospel message is a wonderful message and should bring us to worship. John wrote that the purpose of his book was so that we could, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. That's why John wrote the book. And it's right here too. We can re-see who is God and see our response to that to convey the message of salvation and eternal life. So in chapter 4, we have the idea of worship. And the Samaritan people are coming to meet Jesus, and they come to a conclusion, verse 42. 42, and they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's why John wrote the book. And the Samaritans here are coming to that conclusion. This is the Savior of the world. You know, the disciples took a while longer to decide that. They thought he was just a disciple of the Jews. But the Samaritan right away says he's the Savior of the world. They came to that conclusion. And then, as Jesus talks, answers the question about worship, as when you often are sharing the gospel, you bring something, they want to change the subject again. <laughs> That's what the woman does. So she says, I know there's a promise about Messiah coming. And when he t- comes, he'll tell us all these things. And what was Jesus' response? Let's go back again to 25. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, 
The disciples came back and marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you seeking her? Jesus said, you talk about Messiah, you're talking to him. You're talking to him. And when he says that, what happens in the mind of the Samaritan woman? Bing! I'm talking to who? I'm talking to the Messiah. Could it be? What is her response? An action in response to a truth that I have been talking to the Messiah. She just forgot her water bottle, her water pot, and went to town. It was a, a response of, whoa, I found, an, I found an answer. And she just left her water pot and ran. It was our worship, a response of worship. She came to an understanding, who am I talking to? The Samaritans were devout students of the first five books of the law, the Pentateuch. They studied Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't do as much with the other passages. And so, based on those, those messages in, in, in the Pentateuch, she knew about the Messiah. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll tell us other things. So she already knew about the promise of the Messiah. She had already been learning from her Samaritan catechism. I don't know what she had there. She had some ideas about a Messiah coming. And what does the, what, what does the Pentateuch tell us about the Messiah? In, in, in the book of Genesis, what do we know about the coming Christ? Genesis 3.15, about the, the serpent, the enmity between the woman, and he's going to crush the head. There's going to be... A sacrifice for sin. There's going to be a redeemer. There's going to be somebody to come. She may not have known, as did the Jews, oh, there's a promise about a king. What were the Jews really focusing on? Coming to the king. He's going to give us out of Rome. The idea of king. But she was focusing on what the Pentateuch actually talks about, a Messiah. It doesn't talk much about a king. It talks about somebody who's going to come and redeem the Messiah of the Savior of the world. And with that focus, Jesus says, that Messiah you're looking for is right here. And she loved it. She recognized the Messiah, and in response to this wonderful truth, her spirit wanted to shout and announce the good news so that all her friends might also know the precious truth. Like the child who has the news about going to the park, woohoo, left the picture and went running. We watch this one worshiping in spirit and in truth, in response from an understanding, linked with an emotion from an overflowing heart full of awe, reverence, and expressed missionary work. Verses 28, And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went from the town and were coming to him. The woman discovered the truth. The truth stirred her heart. She left the picture to tell news, and she didn't say, look what I found. She said, come see who found me. Her focus was on the Christ. It wasn't on, look what I found, but look who found me. I had an encounter with the Christ. She told the message, and her message was simple. Come and see. Come and see. She didn't have all the vocabulary, but come and see. 
In verses 31 to verse 36, we see another person worshiping. This person is the son worshiping his father. The son, Jesus Christ, worshiping his father. What's he doing? He's doing what his father told him to do. He's telling his salvation story. And in verse 35, we read about, let's just go back to 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Had Jesus eaten? No, but like the little boy who knew about the park, who, who cares about eating now? We know he was tired. We know he was thirsty. And he just said, I've got something better than eating right now. I've got something better. He's rejoicing in the fact that what? There's some interested hearers coming. Some people who want to hear the message. And that motivates me enough that I just don't want to think about eating right now. I have something to think about. His heart is so full that Jesus says, I don't want to eat. He wants to serve. He understands, there's an understanding of a truth that some people are coming to hear the news. In response to that knowledge, he worships in spirit and truth. And the joy of the harvest, the friend comes and knocks at the door. Sure, I want to share this with my disciples as well. I want you to join in on this harvest. I want you to be participate. He doesn't want to hog all the joy. He wants to invite other people, his disciples, to participate. He knew that in a few minutes, people would come, interested hearers, about the arrival of Messiah, and he's ready to act, he's ready to speak. But like a child waiting to go to the park, he's not only thinking about not eating, but he's also thinking about his friend coming along, he's thinking about the disciples. He says, I want you to proclaim salvation too. I want to serve my father and I want to serve, I just can't keep my mouth shut. I just got to tell it. Joy of seeing a lost soul, recognize the truth, that truth, a truth that moves you apart, a heart overflowing. You're going to get to know more. You forget about yourself. And his disciples arrive and he says, come with me. Come with me. Don't say there are yet four months. And he talks about, in verse 36, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into the labor. We don't know exactly how. We know that the Samaritan woman already knew about a coming Messiah, so somebody had taught the, the books of the law. We already know that John the Baptist taught in that area, so maybe some other things were going on. And so some, some were planting, some were watering, and so we're seeing the increase, and Jesus is saying, come, participate with it. Some plant, some prepare the soil, some, plant the, some irrigate the seed, others clear the land, others get to cut the final harvest. It's, it's all a part of the work of evangelism, the fields. We must be saying, come and see. We must be inviting people to speak of the word some people are at the beginning of the process, some are at the end, but we're all part of the process. And it's an act of worship, an act of worship, because the message has so touched me that I want to tell others. I want others to hear. 
We read at the very beginning, uh, I lost my place here. There's a verse in here. That the Father is seeking worshipers to worship Him as well. Uh, Verse 23. But the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking. And does He find them? Does the Father find worshipers? How does the Father find worshipers? The Father uses worshipers who are responding to the truth by telling the message to make new worshipers. God has chosen, for some reason, to use people to share the good news. He's chosen people to to respond to the word and share the word. He could have used angels. He could have used other other instruments, but he's chosen to use people. He's, he's chosen to use worshipers, those who are responding to the truth and expressing the truth to others in a heart overflowing to gain others. He's seeking worshipers. Worship is an act I do. Humble, fearful heart, exalting God in response to an understanding what his spirit says in, in his word. It moves me to the point that I just cannot help but Respond. It's not a mechanical thing. It's something that comes in spirit and truth. And we know that the Father finds worshipers and he uses the worship of others to share the words, move them. He's chosen to use worshiping believers to, do, to deliver the same word that the Spirit has already used to save them, to save others. So here in John 4, the fact is highlighted that the word of God is what the Lord uses in the harvest. What is the methodology here in John chapter 4? It's simply verbal, telling the news. In all of Jesus' ministry, we never have reports of cities, towns, or communities accepting the gospel in such large numbers as we have in the Samaritan town here. In other places, we have crowds coming, and Jesus is saying, I can't come to the city. I need to get out. They're seeking him because my hour's not yet. <laughs> He's moving away. But this city, they invited him and he came. The only city mentioned to invite Jesus to come. And he spent two days there. He spent two days there. In other cities, we have crowds gathering looking for other things. In John chapter 2, many people believed Jesus to be a servant of God or a great prophet or even a Messiah, but they did not recognize him as the Savior. We read of evangelized cities which rejected Jesus. Disciples saying, shall we call for fire down on these cities? Rejecting him. But in this American city, the people despised, the people rejected. There was great revival. The people were coming to know the Messiah. We do not read anywhere else of Jesus being invited to remain unlike the other cities where Jesus was going out. In this Samaritan city, we have no record of a miracle, no record of healing, no record of a promise for a blessing. We just have record of speaking the word, speaking the word. If there ever was a time where they could have, the disciples could have said, come on, folks, come see a miracle. It could have worked. We see that people chocolate today and they're seeing false miracles, but they could have really done it. Come get a blessing. But no. Just simple, preaching the word. That's the methodology seen here. 
They could have, they could have done. There's no recorded revival like we see in this Samaritan city. No lectern, no microphone, no slides, no songs, no prayers. Was it worship? People might say, how could they have worship with all those other things missing? Yet, what happened? There was action in response to a truth that just overflowed in their hearts. It was a worship service. It was indeed a worship. It was a revival in the town. Revival in the Samaritan village as they welcomed Jesus. Salvation is individual. Each person needed to come to understand individually who is God, who am I, and what is my response to that God. And people decided in the Samaritan town to believe the word that Jesus preached. The woman's word contributed, but the confirmation of the word was Jesus. And the conclusion was, we have found the Savior of the world. We have found the Savior of the world. Jesus' ministry, he identified as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So I want to highlight today is evangelizing, evangelizing and worship go hand in hand. They're not two separate things. They go together. Evangelism shouldn't be something mechanical, nor should worship be something mechanical, but an expression of my faith, my joy, and knowing what God did for me, just sharing it on. If I'm not worshiping on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what changes on Sunday? If I'm not excited about my Lord on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what changes on Sunday? Why do I think I can worship on Sunday if, if, if through the rest of the week I'm not worshiping, excited about that? For some today, perhaps, your involvement here has been mechanical. Lacking spirit, lacking truth, lacking a response. And some may be evangelizing as something just mechanical. Yep, I know I should pass out this track. <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's just the joy of, of, of re rejoicing like that little child, jumping up and down. I get to share my faith. I get to share my faith because somebody's interested in hearing. I get to create an opportunity because I want to share my faith. I don't, I don't care about the, the meal. I don't care about this or that. I want to share my faith. It doesn't require doing a study. The woman's thing was just come and see. Come and see. She didn't wait to, to take a course on evangelism. She didn't wait to take a course on worship. She just said, my heart's overflowing. Come and see. Not all people are missionaries, but all of us need to worship, need to evangelize, expression of worship. It's just how far I leave my pot. Some leave their pot to go around the corner, and some leave their pot to go around the world. But it's the same thing as the woman, leaving my pot at the well to go around, to tell it to someone else. The task of evangelism is nestled here in the context of true worship, worshiping in spirit, worshiping in truth. The Father is seeking worshipers, and he has chosen us to do that. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white and ready to harvest. And the moment that I think about the possibility of sharing my faith with somebody, I should Woohoo, yippee! I get to share my faith. I get to share my faith. It's, it's what he's done for me. What motivates me? What he's already done for me. The fact that the Messiah cared enough to save me, a sinner, is enough for me to say, I'm going to forget my dinner, forget my water pot, I'm just going to go tell. 
Lift up your eyes. They're white, ready to harvest. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. The moment I see the fields ready, my joy at participating in sowing or watering or harvesting must consume me so much that I'm just going to forget everything. In worship, I can think of nothing but preaching the word, the lost. Worship by preaching the word. Unfortunately, many, many people when talking about worship or evangelism will be accused of worshiping with their lips and not with their hearts. Sharing only with their lips, not with their hearts. Talking about mechanical things, ritual performed. They don't even think about serving in a response to the truths of God's word that touched my life. There are worship services without worshipers. People who come to a gathering for a worship service without worshipers. People sing with lips, lacking heart motivation, lacking action in response to understanding. And many who evangelize it, thinking that they're doing it mechanically. Well, God said we need to do it. It's a response. And when I reflect on this, yes, I have a long time on the mission field, but I need to grow in worshiping. I need to grow in evangelism. I need to, to feel more and more of that enthusiasm because sometimes it becomes mechanical. Even for somebody whose main focus is worship services evangelism, sometimes it becomes mechanical. We need to go back to that. I need to grow in that area and I'm suspecting that others need to grow that in area as well. We need to confess our sin for letting that thing, that, that task become mechanical. Both in the church and on the street. Possibly we don't worship because we're not staying in contact with word enough, not letting it refresh us daily. We need to confess those sins. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's reflect on our own hearts. Lord, I thank you that you shared your truth. The Messiah came. Salvation has been provided. And I pray, Lord, that we can in childlike faith say, woohoo, I want to share it too. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you saved me and you can save others. Help us, Lord, to, to go beyond the cultural boundaries, the, the prejudices, to help us change the subject to that which we want to talk about. Jesus, what he did for me, he can also do for you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our area of worship, not mechanically, but expressing with hearts full of all our soul, mind, heart, and strength of what you've done for us and you will do for others. We want to share it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we can grow, that this church can worship in spirit and truth, both here and on the street. Guide us, Lord, and help us to grow in this area. In your name we pray. Amen.